Have you ever wondered how to make sense out of your messy life or how to live in peace in the middle of a stressful world? My name is Jamie Norton, and I want to welcome you to the Making Peace and Beyond podcast, where we talk about life struggles and how to live in the peace, joy, and freedom that Christ died to give us. Today, I'm really excited to have an awesome guest, Josiah Stumbo. Josiah is the young adult pastor for Grace CMA Church in Middleburg Heights. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. It's been um, so fun knowing you over the past years. You're somebody I look up to so much and have um, spent time under your teaching and spent time in your office and um, just have gained so much from you. And this topic of shame really is something that you've taught me a lot about, um, especially recently that I'm starting to really just beginning to unpack. So this is going to be a fun conversation because I've still got a lot of questions. (laughs) You know, you wonder why in the world we should even talk about Mm. this in a podcast, but shame is the universal emotion. Mm. It is one that is the first emotion we actually ever felt. Once Mm. we became aware of ourselves, um, someone said one time there was a a time when we were so covered in love and so covered in grace that Mm. we could just walk around naked and not even know it. But when I'm naked, I know it. And that's when we became aware of who we are. And the mm. first feeling we felt about that was shame. Mm. So it's a really, uh, it's, it's actually Satan's greatest uh, tool to use against us, to isolate us, to make us um, separate from each other, and uh, to gain control over us. So it's mm. really an important, important topic to talk about. Yeah, it seems like one of the methods he uses to get us to feel shame is to make it confusing and make it kind of concealed, especially as I've been noticing kind of you help me see for the first time how pervasive it is in my life. And I start to realize, wow, so many of my decisions are made with kind of shame underneath it. And so many of my insecurities come from that. And um, so maybe to help us like with some clarity, can you stab at a definition of what shame even is? It's Shame is, is basically vulnerability. It's mm-hmm. the feeling that we have of being inadequate, of being dependent. Of When we're vulnerable, we're actually subject to be hurt. Mm-hmm. And so we're exposing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things that uh, reasons that we hide is we've been hurt mm-hmm. and we're afraid to show ourselves to each other. Mm-hmm. But shame does also come in three different forms. Mm-hmm. And each one of those forms is uh, is from a different source, but it also is what keeps us from being able to um, really know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first form is shame we really need to keep. It's just the fact that we are helpless, we are inadequate, we are vulnerable. Mm. Um, and that's really scary mm. in a dangerous world. Mm. But it's also what brings us to our knees and makes us know that we need help. We need each other, we need God, uh, we need people around us. Mm. And that initial natural shame is basically the first time that we felt shame at all Mm. um, and and started to hide. It's interesting. The first feeling we felt was shame, and the second feeling we felt was fear, Mm. the fear of being known. Mm. And just that whole idea of of someone seeing our vulnerability, someone Mm. seeing our inadequacy. Mm. It's when we started to hide from each other, Mm -hmm. you know, because we we were scared. Mm. And 
I have never in 40 plus years of being a counselor ever met anybody who did not want to be loved. Mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. But almost everybody I've ever met is terrified to be known. Mm-hmm. And we can't truly be loved mm-hmm. until we're truly known. Mm-hmm. And so there's a real double bind in there, a real dilemma yeah. that we have. So natural shame is the kind that we have to accept hmm. in order to allow other people into our life, in order to invite people into our life, in order to surrender ourselves to God hmm. as well. And so there's there's just a... But it gets complicated because when we're born into a family or a situation uh, or we grow up in a situation that has... Um, we're in unsafe... Uh, where people can't love us well, mm-hmm. then we develop another kind of shame. And it's the trap that most people have is imposed shame. Okay, that's the second, second That's the second shame. kind. Mm-hmm. Right. And imposed shame mm-hmm. is shame that doesn't even belong to us. It belongs mm-hmm. to the abusive parent, the negligent parent. Mm-hmm. It belongs to the bullies in school. Mm-hmm. It belongs to people who have betrayed you, hurt you, abandoned you. Mm-hmm. Um but we have a tendency to take it on to ourselves and feel somehow responsible for that. Mm-hmm. And as children, there's not a whole lot else we can do. I mean, a child cannot at four years old look at an abusive parent and mm-hmm. say, you know what, you're really a lousy parent and you're really inadequate at doing this and I'm just going to pack my little suitcase and move down the street and live with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. So we can't leave mm-hmm. and so we end up believing there's something wrong with us. Hmm. There's something wrong with me because I have needs. There's something wrong with me because I have feelings. Hmm. Something's wrong with me because I have boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so we start trying to hide those things that really make us human. Hmm. And so imposed shame is really, uh, we can't repent of someone else's shame. Mm -hmm. And we have to give it back. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of hard because you don't just say to a parent, you know, Wow, mm-hmm. you know, your drinking really is hurtful to us, mm-hmm. you know, because then things just get worse. So we stuff things and we yeah. we sit with that. Mm-hmm. So imposed shame is really difficult because mm-hmm. it can't be repented of. Okay. Uh-huh. The third kind of shame is moral shame, and that's basically sin. Sin is anything that separates us from God, and mm-hmm. anything that separates us from God ultimately separates us from each other. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that is that is our stuff. Hmm. I know when I was growing up with hmm. alcoholic parents, you know, I learned a lot of really destructive, self-destructive behaviors. Hmm. And but then it became my sin. Hmm. You know, then stuff I was doing, choices I was making, hmm. you know, that was there. But the blessing is that we have a way back. Hmm. You know, I mean, you go into the courtroom and you tell the judge your worst stuff, and he says, you are guilty. You did all of this wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's getting ready to impose a lifelong sentence of shame on you. Mm-hmm. And Jesus walks in the back of the courtroom and says, excuse me, judge, I'm here to take that shame. Mm-hmm. That person is free to go. Yep. You know, I mean, that is the gift that we have huh. of being set free by Christ. And I think one of the things that is on my heart to share Mm. is how often as a church or as people, we really don't receive that freedom. Mm -hmm. We think he said free to be in parole. 
Mm. free to be on probation. Mm. We continue to walk in guilt and shame after all the trouble that Christ went to set us free. Mm-hmm. And so I want to just say there's a way back. There's a way back to wholeness. There's a way mm. back to being fully human. Mm. There's a way back to accepting both sides of ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, that we can accommodate the fact of our vulnerability. We can accommodate the fact of our neediness and our limitedness and our feeling and emotional states mm. and and still be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which one does the enemy use most often to get at us, or is it all three? I think all three. Uh-huh. I think I think the initial shaming was of our human beingness, the mm. fact of our neediness, mm-hmm. the fact of our limitedness, the fact of our emotional volatility, and mm-hmm. um, but I think that's the the one we have to reclaim, okay, as mm-hmm. being good, okay. Uh-huh. So that's a shame we're not trying to necessarily recover from or change. That's one we're trying to get back to. Right. But the other two, the one where I didn't even do anything wrong, but for some reason I feel shame about something somebody else did, or the one where I did do something wrong, and but I have a Savior who's forgiven me, and now I can... Those two, we, we've got some work to do. <laughs> I've got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say that work is, Josiah? What is something um, that might resonate with you there? Yeah, one thing that uh, as I was sitting in your office uh, last fall, uh, you helped me discover was this imposed shame, the second one you mentioned. Um, I There were some people in my past, in my college years, that I felt responsible for. Um, I, was, I was a natural leader, and I was... Um, I was leading them, and they end up making some pretty... Well, one ended up making bad choices. The other one just ended up in an unhealthy uh, mental state, probably not even from any bad choices. But both of them, I felt all sorts of shame from. Uh, I felt guilty and responsible. And I remember sitting in your office and say, uh, talking through both of these situations. Um, and the first one, you said, that's not your fault. That's not. You can't be responsible for somebody else's actions. And I said, well, but leaders are supposed to be judged more strictly, and I'm a leader. And, um, so is how about a little bit of that guilt is mine, right? Isn't there a little bit that's my guilt? And you said, you thought for a second, but said, no, like, you are not responsible for somebody else's choices. And that really was liberating. I, um, It was interesting that I probably could have told you that, like, philosophically or theologically about somebody else, but I needed to look in your eyes and have you look in my eyes and tell me that and kind of give me permission to not feel guilty about something that um, wasn't my actions and it wasn't my choices, but it did feel like um, I was, I just kept hanging on to it. And so to have that exposed, that tool of the enemy to keep me feeling um, very heavy. So every time I would think of either of these two people, just this weight of dark heaviness would come over me um, because of the shame that I felt and the f- imposed, um, I pro- maybe even self-imposed, is that a thing, self-imposed um, r- shame? Or? Well, I think the only way shame can be imposed is if we receive it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, because mm-hmm. many times people will make every attempt to make us responsible for their behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm angry, but you made me angry. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's probably one of the more common things you'll hear. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your fault that I did this mm-hmm. because that's what Adam and Eve did. In the, mm-hmm. I mean, we blame, shame, shift. We seem to have this need to make other people responsible for our behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, but unless you receive that, you don't have mm-hmm. to 
be you know have to feel that you are, mm-hmm. and so that's a. It, it also hmm. uh, you just also pointed to the thing that traps us in shame, which is secrecy. Mm-hmm. And in recovery circles, we say you're as sick as the secrets you keep, mm-hmm. you know, because it's our secrets and the hiddenness that makes shame grow. Shame cannot mm-hmm. live in the light. Yeah. It mm-hmm. only can grow in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so when we begin to put it into the light, it, 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 it gets defeated, mm-hmm. you know, especially if we can look into the eyes of acceptance. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting in... And uh, 12-step programs, one of the uh, things that is part of the steps is is that you do a fearless and searching moral inventory of yourself, mm-hmm. which is to really look at all of the things you've done wrong, and then you confess to God and to one other person the mm-hmm. exact nature of your wrongs. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that when we can tell somebody our worst stuff, mm-hmm. and they say, is that it? Mm-hmm. Or they give us their phone number, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, then we're like, we're looking into the eyes of acceptance. Mm-hmm. I just told you how horrible I am, mm-hmm. and you're looking at me with acceptance. And mm-hmm. that is the first beginning of reconnection with mm-hmm. other humans. Yeah, and it's the yeah. antidote to shame, it seems like. I remember it was also funny in your office. Um, I, I'm, I like to try to fix it. I, I want to, I wanted to leave each session with something I could do. And so, I, and in the past it's been journaling. I've done a lot of journaling and that's been really healthy for me in a lot of ways. Um, actually now I do look back at my journals and see shame all over them, which is interesting. Um, but I, so I was prepared. I think I even asked you, so what's a journal prompt that I can go home and fix my shame with? Um, and you, uh, told me that that's not something that I can journal through. Um, there's some awareness that I could uh, there were, like be aware of what shame feels like to you, and but um, he, you said that I need the way past shame is people, like like you just said, somebody you can. So you, you told me think about all the things that you don't want to th- talk about and find some people that you can talk about them with, and that acceptance is what's going to be your um, way through the shame. And so that was another pretty new thought for me, but it makes so much sense. that, And that's the trap. The trap is you don't want people to see this, and you're terrified Uh to to be known. Uh You're terrified that somebody would either not accept you or, you Uh know, reject you, abandon you, or put you in jail or something if they really knew you. Uh And yet there's no way back except Uh through other people in community. Uh I mean, we have to be able to... And I think the knowledge that we have a God who loves us and knows us already mm-hmm. is is really such a, an essential part mm-hmm. that we're already known and loved. Mm-hmm. We just have to let other people be there to love us as well. Mm-hmm. And I've been shocked. I mean, in doing Making Peace and Beyond weekends for the last, you know, almost 40 years, you know, I remember telling my story and, and, and uh, I told him, started those weekends in some pretty uh, conservative churches. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there and I would look at all these women that I thought were um, very not like me, that they were okay, because my life has been such a checkerboard. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was, a, I was a teenage pregnancy. At 16, my father, uh, and I know he loved me, he was an alcoholic, and his whole way of dealing with things that he didn't want to see was to avoid them and so mm-hmm. and to deny them and mm-hmm. and so he uh, he said, "If I want you to be able to live a normal life, so I'm going to send you three thousand miles away to live with mm-hmm. your cousins, and you're going to lie about why you're there mm-hmm. and 
The message to me was a total shaming message because it said to me, you cannot exist as you are. You cannot have your experiences. You cannot have your life. And you have to live in secrecy. You've got to live in secrecy. And so I'm sitting here in front of all these people that I think are not like me. Hmm. And I, you know, one of the things I do is in making peace is tell my story because I truly know and, and, and accept the freedom that Jesus died to give me. So hmm. I'm telling my story. But I noticed, and I still, after all these years, when I finish my story, I'll have one second or so where I'm looking around for the eyes of judgment. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm. and I'm like, why are you still here? Mm. <laughs> I mean, why would you let me be your teacher for the weekend? <laughs> I mean, what is that all about? Mm-hmm. So it was, mm. it was not. Um, I mean, that was my own moral shame, mm-hmm. and I have to really receive forgiveness. Mm. You know, in order to be able to be comfortable with having with being me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and not walk in guilt and shame because yeah. shame is the most isolating. Mm-hmm. Tool that Satan has to use. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're what you said about shame being uh, need. You need to look in the eyes of somebody else and see the love of God for you. For you. I, I experienced that in your office, and there's one other mentor in my life that I would say I would leave his meetings with him, and he was unlocking for me characteristics of God that I wouldn't have been able to discover on my own, no matter how much I read the Bible about his love and his forgiveness and his mercy, something about another person who believes it a little better than you or understands it a little deeper than you maybe, um, that God truly loves and what his grace really actually means, um, to carry that from his heart and pour it out through their acceptance and through their eyes of um, I see you, I understand, and I still, like you just said, I still do accept you. And so I felt um, kind of this realization, again, I've had it several times, I guess, in my Christian walk, but this realization again that, oh, God is better than I thought he was. <laughs> and I can see it now that I've actually been trying to hold on to some regret or uh, some bad feelings about things I've done in the past to punish myself or to remind, like, maybe if I think about it enough, I'll never do it again, or um, if I keep my head down. But you are helping me understand that that's not what God wants for me. He wants freedom for me, and he wants, when he says I'm forgiven, he means it. So uh, to have somebody else look at you in the eye and tell you that really was fascinating to me to realize there's stuff that I don't know if I could possibly learn about God without people who are further along in the faith and have a deeper understanding of his heart revealing it to me. Even though it's all written right here in the Word, I don't understand these words without people mirroring for me what that looks like. So that was revelatory. Really, until we accept ourselves in the natural shame way, until we accept who we are as a human being, Mm. that we are truly vulnerable and helpless, that Mm. we truly need each other, Mm -hmm. we need, we can't survive on our own. Mm -hmm. Until we really accept that, it's like we just hide. And and in that isolation, it's really dark Mm. and it's really lonely, Mm. you know, and, and sometimes I think of it as, a really dark room. And as long as we keep the room dark, we don't really see it. Mm-hmm. We don't really think about it. We've got it all figured out. We're trying mm-hmm. to, 
you know, but if you let light come into that room, then you start seeing the mess. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you'll see happen until we accept who we are as a human being, mm-hmm. until we accept all of the flaws and the inadequacies that we have, mm-hmm. we will not receive love well mm-hmm. because love is light. Mm-hmm. And so when a person tries to love us, mm-hmm. we'll still be on guard. Mm-hmm. And I've known people that have been married for 25 years, and I want to introduce them to each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've never met each other. Well, uh-huh. They don't know about major things that have happened mm-hmm. in each other's life. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad because, mm-hmm. you know, they don't really believe that they're loved mm-hmm. because the whole back guys in the back room will be saying if they really knew you they wouldn't care mm. if they really knew you they wouldn't love you mm. you uh-huh. know no wow. one could love you if you because of who you are huh. you wow. know and yet when you see that that's not true that that's mm-hmm. a great giant lie mm-hmm. you know in fact one of the things that i see happen over and over and over again in making peace is a group of strangers come together mm-hmm. and on the first night they're all sitting there thinking why did I agree to do this, and how can I get out of here mm-hmm. gracefully? <laughs> you know, and by Sunday they're hugging each other and wanting mm-hmm. to exchange phone numbers, and mm-hmm. and because they've taken a risk mm-hmm. to become vulnerable with each other, mm-hmm. and they've been received, and they received compassion and concern mm-hmm. and empathy, and they also get to know they're not alone. Somehow. One of the most arrogant things, because pride is the flip side of shame. Mm-hmm. It's all comparisons, like mm-hmm. I'm worse than other people or I'm better than other people, which is pride. Mm-hmm. And it's like all of a sudden they're realizing that I'm neither. I'm mm-hmm. just like everybody else, mm-hmm. that people are just people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all have more in common than we don't. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? liberating. And, it's so liberating to realize that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just like, well, why would we hide from each other? Yeah. You know, and uh-huh. I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And it's prideful to think that we're by ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that we're the only one out of mm-hmm. billions and billions of people in, the, in all of history that ever was as bad as I am, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that and yeah. as unforgivable as I am, you know, mm-hmm. and as unloved as I am and mm-hmm. it's just not true mm-hmm. I don't care where you've been or what you've done or, or what's been done to you mm-hmm. there's a way back yeah and I didn't know that I had 12 mm-hmm. years of perfect attendance at Sunday school and I had no mm-hmm. idea that there was a way back mm-hmm. that that's exactly why Jesus came mm-hmm. but God in his mercy brought people all the way through it mm-hmm. I call them my personal missionaries mm-hmm. who loved me in spite of myself mm-hmm. <laughs> they love me anyway yeah and I think it helped me to understand what that's all about, mm-hmm. you know, is that our job is to love each other and give each other a safe place so that they can work out their issues with God, not yeah. with us. Mm-hmm. So, Josiah, mm-hmm. as you think about shame in yourself, what are some of the things you've found in yourself that indicate you're feeling ashamed? Or what are some of the things that you may have seen in some of the people that you work with in your ministry? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so as since we've talked about it in the fall, I started to notice shame in my life. And so I would notice, um, I, I started to try to think about physically when I feel shame, what does it feel like? What in my body, can I sense shame? And it's like my shoulders, like I can feel as I'm, I can even imagine it now and maybe even <laughs> feel it now, <laughs> feeling a little nervous about a podcast. Um, so um, I can feel like some weight on my shoulders. Uh, it's like, yeah, that's probably the best way to describe it weight um, and kind of like creeps into my 
it it feels like it pulls me in, like pulls my head down and my arms in, and makes me want to crumple up <laughs> in the ball. And I, one time I was journaling about it, um, and I noticed uh, I had just written about something that felt like it was bringing that feeling back up. And without thinking about it, I had I was covering my face with while well, I, I was thinking, but my both hands were over my face, just like the emoji. <laughs> I was I was <laughs> encapsulating like the the shame emoji. So it was fascinating. I didn't know I actually did that. You know, you know that that's what shame looks like on the emoji. But like I'm actually. Cover, head down, covering my eyes and face. Um, so that was interesting. I, I w- wouldn't do that in public. Um, I've, I guess I've learned not to, you know, you you temper it in public. But and when I was just totally letting myself feel it, I was um, just intrigued by that, that that was um, a physical manifestation of what shame feels like. In conversation, I definitely uh, I could feel myself avert eye contact, especially if there's something that brings up something shameful. Um, I probably get fidgety, <laughs> um, but yeah, mostly like a I want to disappear. So if I can, if I'm looking away from you, then I don't feel like we're <laughs> we're both connected. I don't know what it is, but yeah, the avoiding eye contact and that kind of thing. I've I've definitely seen that with people I work with. I work with young adults. I'm a pastor here, um, and the young adults I've worked with, I've also noticed um, avoiding eye contact is pretty normal or avoiding you altogether, never coming back. Or exactly. um, you can, if somebody's pretty consistent um, and you know that there's a struggle in their life and then they disappear for a while, it's a pretty good chance that if I call them, they're going to, if you call them, actually, they probably want to be found, it seems like. People do want to be found. So if I reach out and find them, they're willing to come in and tell me everything, but they weren't making the initiative to, their reaction was to like, let me get out of there. So maybe you're not even conscious, maybe they found everything else to do on the night where we normally meet or, um, but yeah, so avoidance, whether it's in the moment, eye contact avoidance or avoidance, like let me actually hightail it out of here and <laughs> not come back until I'm found, um, is that I've, I've seen both of those for sure. Yeah, yeah, it it does. It takes, uh, uh, you know, the avoidance of people, places, and things mm-hmm. that bring up those feelings of shame mm-hmm. is is almost inevitable. And the avoidance of eye contact is probably the most common thing you'll see. Mm-hmm. I have clients that come in the office, and I feel like I got to go over here and say, "What, what did you say? <laughs> you know, look at me." <laughs> you know, I mean, uh-huh. it's like. Um, you want to see 60 to 80% of eye contact. Mm, you know, mm. any more than that, they're probably just not there at all. They're just, <laughs> you know, looking at you. But, Gets but, creepy at that point. <laughs> you need to, you uh-huh. know, when you were talking about, uh, you know, not showing up and not coming back, but wanting to be found, mm-hmm. I think that is something that we really do seek. We, we mm-hmm. want to be found. Mm-hmm. When I was a little girl and Life would get really bad at my house. I, I, I developed a habit of going and reading in my grandmother's magnolia tree. Hmm. And there were some branches that were kind of like an orange chair, and I would just take a book up there and hide. But I really wanted somebody to come and find me. Hmm. And they didn't. Hmm. You know? yeah. And eventually, I had to get down. Hmm. And hmm. in that nobody coming to find me, it almost compounded the shame. Hmm. See, you really aren't important. You really wow. are insignificant. Uh-huh. Nobody even noticed that you were not here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I think that 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 is something that you know most people. I think I will say every person hmm. wants to be seen, mm-hmm. wants to be heard. Yeah, you know. So if we can 
help people to feel safe, mm. to come out of hiding, yeah. then, you know, to come back, mm-hmm. then I think we are representing what, God's, what Christ wants us to represent. Yeah. That's fascinating, because at the beginning of the podcast, you said uh, that shame is this fear of being known, and we're trying not to be known, but also there's something deep inside of us that longs to be known and seen and understood, and uh, and I think it's because it's dangerous, because when we're... If we're not known, then we can kind of either just be um, like anonymous, nobody, or uh, even yeah. But if we if we start to be known, uh, then either we're rejected or we're accepted. Because once they see us, then they have the opportunity to either reject you or accept you. If you're not known, they can. Um, if, if whether or not they accept you is near, not nearly as painful because they're not really seeing the real me anyways. But as soon as you put that real self out there, then rejection is possible because now they exactly. actually see something that is the real me. And so, but the, so there's kind of two sides of that spectrum because rejection would be the most painful thing you can feel if you're really known and then rejected. But if you're really known and then accepted in that moment, that's what love is. That's probably the definition of love, to be known and then received and accepted or invited. So um, I, it's high stakes. As soon as you're willing to be known, it, the stakes are really high. Uh, and so that craving for love that we all have is tied to this need to be known. And we're not, if we are always avoiding relationship or avoiding sharing the vulnerable things or avoiding being seen, then it might be a little safer, but it's not going to be fulfilling and we're not going to find the love that we all need. So It leaves that hole in us just very empty because we were never created to be by ourselves. Yeah, I mean, we were never created to be alone. And I think one of the most common survival uh, beliefs that we develop or mm. survival lies that we develop is I don't need anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm independent. Mm. Yeah. You know, we even got down to the one man army at one point, you uh-huh. know, and I don't want a one man army in my yeah. life. Uh-huh. You know, it's like yeah. but it's it's such a shame based mm-hmm. understanding. Mm-hmm. I mean when, you know, but and the big thing is fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I worked with a client not long ago and she was like, I'm just angry and I I'm not giving up my anger, you know. Huh. And and there'd been a lot of abuse in the past and mm-hmm. and you know, when we got right down to it. It wasn't anger at all. It hmm. was fear. Interesting. Because huh. fear and anger feel so much alike in the beginning of them. They both huh. click on. Okay. You know, huh. but it's easier to be mad than it is to be scared. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we see a whole world of angry people because they're scared. Hmm. Wow. And they don't know what to do. Huh. They don't know the way back. Yeah. That's but one person who looks into your eyes of, with the eyes of acceptance is incredibly wonderful. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it. Mm-hmm. Think about when, you know, when, like when your kids look at you mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. so adoring, it's like, mm-hmm. oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. As an artist, I've felt that. As a creative person, I've felt probably some of that real intense vulnerability that comes with being known when it comes to sharing something I've created, whether it's a poem I've written or something that has really truly come from the heart, a song I've written. Um, there's, I, I can, I, I can definitely feel the, all the things that shame does, the avoidance of like, if, if I've got something to share, it's like, it's courage to share it with somebody or not. And the courage all is, tied to this 
idea that if they see it, they have the power to reject me or accept me in that moment. Because what they're seeing is a part of something deep down inside of me that I spent hours and emotions and <laughs> thought into creating. And if it's even if it's like, oh, that was cool and kind of brushed off, it wasn't met with the acceptance that I really probably needed in that moment of, no, I'm bearing my soul here. And if it's just, ah, okay, then that feels like rejection. <laughs> so as an artistic person, <laughs> it's da- it feels dangerous. And I think prob- there's probably a lot more artistic people out there that are hiding and aren't willing to express that because at some point in their childhood or beyond, they were shut down in that area and they felt that rejection once. And mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to try that again. And then those skills don't get honed. And, but yeah. It's really sad. I, you just mm-hmm. hit on the other thing that, that shame does. Mm-hmm. It, it isolates us from each other. Mm-hmm. But the other thing it does is it prevents us from using the gifts that mm-hmm. God gave us. Mm-hmm. You know, Because you're right. I mean, if you're a child and you draw a picture... Mm-hmm. And somebody laughs at it, mm-hmm. you know, or somebody says that's terrible, mm-hmm. you know. Then you're probably not going to show that picture to anybody else, mm-hmm. you know. And and God gave us gifts to give mm-hmm. and to show, yep. and just to celebrate each other, the different things we can do. Mm-hmm. And when our gifts are shamed, mm-hmm. then they go un, undone. Mm-hmm. So who knows how many poems haven't been shared yeah. or songs haven't been shared or yeah. uh, pictures haven't been drawn or mm-hmm. you know just uh, things we haven't done because we're afraid yeah. somebody would say something yeah mm-hmm. and um, we don't do what God gave us to give to each other yeah that could go with any dream somebody has right mm-hmm. any dream is a vulnerable dream. part of you so art or not businesses mm-hmm. that haven't been started or mm-hmm. medical breakthroughs that haven't been found because people crushed them early on the yeah. dream yeah and uh-huh. we'd rather be guilty than ashamed huh. i remember one time uh, we uh, when i was working in the mountains of north carolina we we found a boy who had been grown up in the woods and he had never been to school hmm. and um he was a big kid, he was in the eighth grade, and he was put into the eighth grade, and and uh, he broke every rule there was. Hmm. I mean, he was just terrible. Mm-hmm. And but the bottom line was, he would rather break the rules and be guilty of breaking the rules hmm. than for you to see that he could not read and write. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And so, and we often do that. We'd rather be guilty and hmm. do something wrong. Hmm then be inadequate and be something wrong. Hmm. So hmm. you'll find people taking, and that's one of the sources of taking responsibilities. If if I'm guilty, I did it wrong, so if I do it differently, whatever happened will never happen again, or hmm. whatever happened will, you know, I can change it. Hmm. But if I am something wrong, I can't change it. Hmm. And so that's one of the things that really blocks people, hmm. you know, to, from, from, uh, just allowing themselves, because we want to maintain that sense of that illusion of power and control mm. that I could do it different. Mm-hmm. I really could do it different if I really wanted to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and that's a very common one. Interesting. Is I, I could, 
I could I could do this, and then we don't try to do it because we don't want to. We know in our heart we couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Like I can't fly a plane, mm-hmm. and I can sit there and pretend I could fly a plane, mm-hmm. and I can think I could do it if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. But don't put me in the cockpit. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like I really can't do that. Uh-huh. So I mean, that's kind of the way. A lot of people live life is avoiding doing things hmm. or learning to do things. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing. If you don't learn the learning curve hmm. of learning, hmm. you know, I can envision playing a guitar like you do, hmm. but hmm. when I pick it up, I can envision, you know, playing for other people and singing hmm. and doing that. But it, but if I pick it up, I'm going to go plunk, plunk because I, I don't, I haven't learned. Hmm. I haven't really done my sh- my part. Mm-hmm. God may have given me a gift, mm-hmm. but it still has to be learned. Yeah, yeah. You still have to practice. It's an interactive yeah. process. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, yeah. you wrote a song about shame after some of the stuff that we talked about, and mm-hmm. I thought it might be a good way to end this whole podcast mm-hmm. by letting you share that song with the people that are listening. Sure. And uh, I just told you how scary that is, though. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <didn't> you? <laughs> yeah. No, this is good. This is really good. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I think we always have to remember is the 20-60-20 rule. 20% of the people who hear this song are not going to like it. <laughs> 60% aren't going to even listen. Uh-huh. And then there's going to be 20% who are going to really, really like it. <laughs> That's great. And Let's I'm just hear from those. them. <laughs> That's good. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. But being known, I, I love your gift, and, mm-hmm. I, and I love the way you love people. Mm-hmm. And I think we're very, very blessed to have you in our young adult ministry, and I watch how the kids are flourishing Thanks. in there because of you yeah, well, and this... because you do walk in vulnerability hmm. and that does take courage before we go to play in your song I want to know if you, there's anything you'd like to say about what you felt writing the song what the song says um, and just why you wrote it yeah so I really I went home right after a session in your office about um, I think it was the one where you said no you're not guilty for something somebody else has done that's um that's not yours to hold on to. And I saw this glimpse of God's love and his desire for me to be free from this and that I've had a misconception about him in a way. And so um, I went home and I wrote this, I had this idea probably in the car on the way home that he's better than I ever thought he was. And so that was the, that's the main idea of the song that God's better than I thought he was. He's better than I allowed him to be in my imagination of who he is. And um, and so, yeah, it starts off with I set out to forge myself a name. Like I was trying to, with self-reflection and self-definition, I was going to make a name for myself and realized it wasn't half as good as what he called me when he passed us the wine and broke the bread and said, I'm willing to actually die for you. And so that's the concept that um, he's better than we thought and that uh, what I've if I try to build a name for myself, it's not actually going to be near as good as what he wants to call me. So Yeah, we can't create an image of ourselves as better than the image that he created us to be, which is in his image. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, <laughs> here it is. set out to forge myself a name 
pressure packed and shoulder loads of shame I had a string of words to try To self-reflect and self-define But none of them came close to what you said When you passed a cup of wine and broke the bread You're better than I ever knew You're better than I ever knew You're better than I dare to think You're better than I knew I was guilty of so many sins And half of them were failure to forgive I had a list of names to face But suddenly ran out of grace When my own name was written on that page But did you really crucify my shame? You're better than I ever knew You're better than I ever knew You're better than I dare to think You're better than I knew If I were to believe it, if I dared to trust that you felt it worth it to pay for me in blood, if I were to believe it, if I dared to trust that this was your initiative to offer me your love, then maybe I could step out of this Maybe you would help me find my name Oh, you're better than I ever knew You're better than I ever knew You're better than I dared to Better than I knew